Hi, this is Corey Olson, and welcome to Students of the Word. This podcast consists of recordings of the weekly Bible study I've started running in February of 2022. I'm doing close reading, uh, which means we're going very slowly, thinking really carefully about the words, how everything fits together, and then, of course, also thinking about what this means for us and what we do with it. Thanks for listening, and I pray that God will bless the reading of his word as we study together. Hey, welcome back to Students of the Word. This is episode 16. Today we finished, well, more or less finished, the, th- the third paragraph of First John. Um, we got through uh, the last verse, verse 6, um, but uh, there's still a bunch that I want to come back and tie up next time. But this still counts, I think, as finishing the paragraph. Um, really had a wonderful time. We discover a really awesome thing. Like in the middle of this class, I discovered something I never noticed before about the structure of that last verse which I thought was super, super cool. So anyway, uh, this is a really fun, uh, uh, fun discussion, and I hope that you will enjoy it, and it will be a blessing to you. Good afternoon, and welcome back to Students of the Word. This is session number 16, uh, and uh, today we are looking at completing the third paragraph of 1 John. So um, uh, today's session is called Just As He Walked. Um, wanting to really emphasize uh, the sort of the, 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 well, I was going to say new metaphor that he brings in, but of course it's not new, right? The metaphor that he returns to in the final sort of concluding sentence of this paragraph as he continues to just sort of bring things together uh, from all over the other two paragraphs uh, that he's written so far. So let's, let's look at how this works. Okay. So um, we had, So let's read the whole third paragraph here. By this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. Now, that's as far as we got before. Well, let me finish it. By this, we know that we are in him. The one who says that he remains in him ought himself also walk just as he walked. Um, Okay, so it's the walking, right? The walking is the metaphor that he's not been using that metaphor in this paragraph so far, but of course he used it in both directly and indirectly in different places back in paragraph two, right? Most prominently, of course, with the, um, if we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness back in verse six of chapter one. And then of course, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, those are the direct uses of that metaphor. And there's that indirect use that we talked about too, um, which is in verse eight, right? If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. Uh, And we're talking about how the Greek word for deceiving ourselves means like leading yourself astray, which also does seem to like, again, kind of indirectly invoke that sort of walking uh, metaphor, right? Um, The idea of leading yourself astray, leading yourself off the path. Um, Yeah. Um, Yeah, man, Aiden, yeah. um, Aiden says, walk just as he walked is complex in Greek. Yeah, man, I was, and I was looking at the inner, at the interlinear and I'm like, man, that is a hot mess. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be interested in kind of working through some of the syntax there because it's clear. I was guessing this anyway, because every single translation of John 2, 6 I've ever read is like super awkward. Um, I mean, it's, it's really, it's really, it's really challenging. Uh, I, I just mean like 
structurally from a syntactical and structural standpoint it's challenging um but um but we'll 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 get to that actually before i even want to talk more about the walking metaphor i want to come back to uh just kind of touch on uh touch on truly we talked about this at the end of last time right so two things one uh and i totally was like spacing on it at the end of last time but i think hey was pointing out to me i was talking about truly truly verily verily um from the gospel of john but i think hey was pointing out to me that that's actually a different word so it's not that it's not the same word there um he's not using the adverb for it's he's using amen amen there right which is uh, which is then being translated by the King James, verily, verily, but it's not actually the word, literally the word truly, um, alethos here. Um, uh, so anyway, that thanks for that uh, correction, Heya. But um, anyway, I just wanted to, I just wanted to sit on this for a second long, okay, several seconds longer, because um, again, it is, it feels to me like a really good illustration of how John thinks, right? We've talked from the very beginning about how the epistle of John, the first epistle of John, it, presumably all three of them, but we're talking about the first one right now. Um, the first epistle of John is very poetic in its um, sort of style, right? That is, this is not, he is not at all attempting to write lucid and transparent prose that clearly and simply conveys to you an idea, right? Um, we tend to think, I believe, um, in fact, we, because, and I, my personal theory is that because we spend so much of our time reading stuff now, um, we value very highly, right? Somebody who can clearly convey ideas with as much brevity as possible, right? Um, as much brevity and clarity, those are those are those are the best elements of prose, right? And so if your prose is challenging, right, is hard to understand. Um, if you've got to like sit and beat your head against it for a while to make it make any sense, we tend to dismiss that as just bad writing, right? Like you've just you've failed. You've you've like you had one job, right? You're writing something, which means you're trying to communicate something, which means right, you know, and then so like you're just you're just not doing it well if um if it's really hard to figure out, right? But um that is of course not how all writing should work or is meant to work. And that is absolutely not how very much scripture works at all. In fact, I'm not convinced that there's any part of the Bible that is, that shares that modern value. I was just like that value of like brevity and clarity. Um, it's, uh, you know, to convey as clearly and simply as possible in as straightforward a manner as possible. That is not how they roll. <laughs> like that is, that is, that, that is not how, uh, how, how these people operated in general, I think. Um, uh, rather, I mean, and we certainly see this throughout the Hebrew Bible. Um, the emphasis is on memorization, on meditation. Right. Um, that like the more you read it and the more you think about it and the more you meditate upon it, you know, that there is this lifelong wealth of richness in it who's, you know, which will be revealed to you more and more over time. Um, that's that's getting the bang for your buck right there. Right. It's not just about conveying a simple idea. Now, some in some places, 
uh, that element is more, and in some places it's less. In John, it's more, right? Um, and by the way, the fourth paragraph is when things get real interesting as far as that's concerned. But we'll get there yet. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna peek ahead too far to that. Um uh, but anyway, 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 point is John is it's been pretty clear to me from the start that John is writing in a very, that kind of a very richly um, uh, sort of poetic style. We're supposed to, um, he is juxtaposing all of these different ideas, right? He's just sort of taking these ideas and putting them next to each other in our minds and letting us, um, really prompting us uh, to sort of draw conclusions from this, to to really connect these dots and let this stuff all kind of come together. So uh, I think in my opinion, his use of the adverb truly, alethos, is an example of that, right? Had he simply said that, had this statement just been made in a vacuum, right? Had he only said, whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. As I said last time, truly would have been as I had always taken it to be, um, especially when I was reading Verily in the uh, in the King James, um, would be just a, an intensifier, Right? Um, the love of God has been perfected, you know, like re- totally, like really, it's like very much so, right, is kind of how I've always taken that, um, uh, the, the word, the word truly there, right? And, and it does mean that, right? It's, it's not that that's not correct, right? But of course, in context, the weight of the word aletheia, the word truth, in that same sentence gives it this other sense, which doesn't make sort of which which which, you know adds extra meaning on top of it right um the one who says i have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth the aletheia right let me i'm not conjugating that properly right what is it yes i am look at that the aletheia um and the the aletheia is not in him right the truth is not in him if you don't keep his commandments if you're a liar the truth is not in you by definition right? Um, uh, But whoever follows his word, and we were talking last time about how the shift from his commandments to his word, right? Keeping his commandments versus keeping his word, which is a synonym, but adds that layer of the logos, right? Which has been identified in the gospel of John with the son of God himself, right? With Jesus, the word of life stuff that we saw back in verse one of this epistle, right? So you're keeping the commandments, which means you're keeping the word. So he's already now adding that extra layer of the word. You're to to keep his commandments is to follow him personally, right? And if you don't keep his commandments, if you don't keep him, you don't follow him, then the truth is not in you. And he is the truth as well, right? Um uh yeah yeah um but then we add that other level right who um whoever follows whoever keeps his word in him the love of god has been perfected truly in truth right so what is an adverb what is what are adverbs doing um well unless someone can explain to me that greek adverbs work differently to other adverbs, what adverbs do is they tell you the manner in which, or the manner or sort of context of a verb, right? 
um, it qualifies it, 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 it gives you some extra information about how the verb operates or the circumstances or conditions under which the verb is happening, right? Um, and the verb in question is, has been perfected, right? The love of God has been brought to its fulfillment. The love of God has achieved its goal in him, right? In the person who keeps his word, right? And what is the, what is the extra information he's giving us about it, right? What is the, what are the conditions under which the love of God has been perfected in this person? In truth, by means of truth, right? Um, and again, which seems just directly to link back to the first half of that sentence, right? If you don't keep his commandments, the truth is not in you. But if you do keep his word, if you keep his commandments, you keep him. And his love is perfected in you by truth, because the truth is in you, right? When that happens. Um, so I, I just love the I love the way that this all that all comes together. It's uh it's again, you could just I could just keep thinking about that sentence. Uh this is one of my favorites. I mean, uh I, I mean I told you guys before, first John two five is a uh is a is a is a favorite of mine. Um I just love how all of this comes together. Um good. So Stephen was asking, does the fact that so many of the epistles were written by Paul influence how we read the others? Paul may not write in a modern, concise manner, but some of his writing does seem more intentionally clear. Yes. Yeah. No, I think you can see there's a clear difference in how Paul is writing compared to how John is writing, right? The main thing that I would say is that Paul is clearly making an argument, right? He is trying to demonstrate a point, um, you know, using uh, logic to back him up, though his logic is, the logic of his argumentation isn't always the same way that we would use uh, logic uh, in supporting an argument. And he's doing more than just making uh, you know, he's, it's not like a philosophical treatise or something, but, but again, that, that I think would be the difference. He's, he's, he's making an argument. He's trying to, he's trying to show he's, he's teaching, but he's teaching in a different way. Right. John, I think is not trying to make an argument. Um, he's doing something, um, doing something quite different, but again, even Paul, um, even Paul's epistle is he's, he's not exactly straightforward either, nor does he always just come out and say the things that we'd want him to just to come out and say. Um, uh, there's a lot of, um, he does a lot of things by sort of structuring his uh, uh, arguments and things in, in ways like paralleling structures of um, uh, Hebrew stuff and things. It's complicated. Um, but um, I'm especially thinking of the way in which it's uh, his Paul's epistles are so steeped uh, in the Hebrew scriptures as well. So he is using like he's engaging in like the Greek and Roman world as far as like logically and argumentatively. Um, but uh, he's I, Paul's got both of his feet uh, in uh, uh, in the Hebrew world uh, when he's doing it. But um, uh yeah, that's interesting, Randall, that you say that. Randall says that uh, Paul's syntactic style, that is how he structures his sentences and things, is more typically Greek, whereas John's is decidedly not typical of Greek writers. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm not surprised, <laughs> Randall. I'm not surprised to hear that. Um, um, yeah, and and I do, I, do, I, I agree, Stephen. I do agree that Paul, 
Um, it's Paul Styles a little easier for modern readers. Um, absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, there are definitely some foreign elements to it. But again, he's he's trying to explain points, right? He's trying to make particular arguments, and it's easier for us to kind of seize on, right? The sort of um, more loose and poetic meditation. Well, loose is a funny word. I don't think it's totally appropriate. But anyway, can I just go with weird? The weird uh, and uh, uh, poetic contemplation of things that John has. John shows very little interest in actually conveying an argument, certainly not building an argument systematically over the course of the book. It's just not how he rolls. It's not what he's interested in. Um, what he's doing is pretty darn cool. Uh, and he's conveying an immense amount of stuff. But um uh, but it's not in the normal in the normal way. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, um, yeah. Susan, I wonder. I think there's probably an element of that. Susan Martin was saying back when I was studying Greek, it struck me that John wrote Greek like it was a second language, uh, simple words repeated frequently. Yes, I, I'm sure there's an element of that. But at the same time, I think. Remember when I was I was talking about this back in, in paragraph one. Um, I think that there's also an element of it's not just that he's um, I certainly don't think he's like merely I'm not saying you're saying this, but I certainly don't think he's merely being clumsy in Greek or something. Um, but that I think that he's replicating in Greek a kind of like meditation literature, um, which is I mean, like, you know, who else is pretty weird? the prophets actually let's face it the entire bible is pretty strange uh which is really fun i i i i say it with love um uh with hebrew bible especially kind of weird right and i think that uh we can see a lot of those kind of elements but um um anyway anyway um and yes john points out there's a difference in the structure of early paul and later paul uh too yeah yeah, exactly. That's interesting. John says that Paul, he finds Paul to be a writer that you follow through an argument and John a writer that you experience. Yes, it is certainly an experience for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Anyway, um, but let's go back to the text. Um, okay, okay. Let's go on then to the last sentence. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says that he remains in him ought himself also walk just as he walked. Um, and here we have one of those examples where the New American Standard is trying to stick so closely to the Greek that it fails to make a perfectly syntactical English sentence. Right, The one who says that he remains in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Uh, I think technically, but again, it's, but it's, it's fine. But if they said to walk, they would make it an infinitive and it's, I don't think it's an infinitive in the Greek. So um, they're trying to follow. So let's, 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 I said it was a hot mess before. Let's, let's, let's look at this. Okay, here we go. Starting in the middle of verse five here. Okay. By this, we know that in him we are. Okay. So far, so good. Here we go. The one claiming in him to abide ought just as that walk. Also, he in the same way walked. <laughs> what? Okay, okay, I got it. All right. The one claiming in him to abide ought just as that walk, just as, just as, just as what? As also he in the same way walked. Okay. Um, 
Uh, right. Okay. <laughs> See what I mean? Right, okay. Um, the one claiming in him to abide. Now, uh, let's, um, we can start sorting out this thing, um, perhaps, by trying to make some sense of the pronouns. Can we start with that? Okay. The one claiming, uh, so this is a, this is what a, a, a neuter, no, it's masculine, masculine singular article. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. The one claiming, oh yes, Aiden, thank you for pointing this out. I was noticing that, but that claim, this looks like logos, but it's not logos, right? This is a different word. Um, oh, it is, it is, it, you're saying it's the same root. It's not the same word, but it's the same root. Okay. Aha. Okay. How closely is that connected? It's the corresponding verb. Aha. Oh, I thought it was a totally different word. See, there we go. That's really interesting. Okay. Right. So logos is the noun and legon is the verb. Same. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I love you, John. Okay. This is this, this is awesome. This is awesome. Okay, okay, okay. By the <laughs> Oh. Oh. Oh my heart. Okay. Go, let's go. By this we know that in him we are Okay, in him we are. So him we have a st- who's him? I mean, like I know who he is in general, right? Um, but it's God, right? And I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make like a, a super important distinction between God and Jesus here, but I don't think Jesus is around ex- directly as uh, an available antecedent to these pronouns. Um, we were just talking about Jesus, Jesus Christ, the righteous, uh, during the end of the previous paragraph, he himself is the propitiation for our sins. Okay, so we've got a he himself, which is clearly Jesus Christ, the righteous, at the end of the last paragraph. Then we say, by this, we know that we have come to know him, which probably does then refer back to Jesus. Um, okay, I'm going to say then, because we're hymning consistently all the way through this paragraph, right? And with that really firm, um, with that really firm, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only. Oops, not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him, that is Jesus Christ, the righteous, if we keep his commandments. Yes. Okay. Um, yes. Okay. So I, so I think this is Jesus then. Um, we do get God, the love of God. Right, but that's sort of a separate phrase. I think we don't like we don't have God as a subject performing, like we don't have God as a subject of a verb, right? Acting sort of independently here. Um, we have um, we have the love of God, right? In afraid, let me look at that here. Okay, in Him, the love of God is perfected, right? Agape um, to Theo, yes, um, has been perfected. Um, 
And that's the love is the subject of, but it's, it's passive middle or passive. Great. I'm calling it passive because I still don't understand the middle verse, the middle voice rather. Okay. Um, The love of God in him, the love of God has been perfected. Yeah. Passive voice. Great. Okay. Yep. Yep. Um, Okay. Oh, thanks, Aiden. Aiden says the middle voice is like the cake baked in the oven. So you can say, I baked the cake. I baked a cake. That's active voice. You can say the cake was baked by me. Uh, and that's passive voice. But if you say the cake baked in the oven. So if it's, a, what is it, like a an object doing something to itself or something happening to an object? It's still... My, my heart, but the hard thing I have, the hard part time I have is that like, I don't have like a logical space in my brain for the middle voice. It's like you're doing an action or the action is done to you. You're the, 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 the agent or you're the patient of the action, right? Okay. So it's an action with no implied agent, right? It's just, a th- it's, it's just happening. It's just it's when it, when a thing is just going on, right? Nobody's doing it. You're not emphasizing it's being done to anything. It's just, um, so, okay. So tell me this stuff happens. Would you put that in the middle voice? Is that middle voice stuff happens, right? Would that be a middle voice sentence? I'm just trying to understand. I've never understood the middle voice, but anyway, sorry, getting distracted. It's probably passive. So it's totally fine. Okay. So I agree him, Jesus. We're good. I agree. We're, 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 our antecedents are Jesus all the way through. So let's, so let's, let's go back to our sentence. Okay. Where, we're, oh no, middle of five. Here we go. Uh, where are we? Here we are. Here we are. By this, we know. Well, hang on. Got another pronoun. By this. By what? Oh, what's coming up? So that's not a backwards pointing pronoun. That's a, um, uh, that's a setup for what's coming. By this, we know, right? We're pointing forward. By this, we know that we are in. Do you want to know? How we know that we're in him? I'll tell you, right? Here's how we know. Colon, boom. Then we get verse six, right? Okay, so so the first, this is the setup. Here's how we know that we are in him, in Jesus. The one claiming to abide in him, right? To abide in Jesus ought just ought walk right and this is where the nasb gets ought walk right um ought present indicative accusative aorist no dear um uh Okay, great. Randall says that Smith's Greek grammar is not very helpful here. It says that this demonstrative pronoun generally refers to what precedes, but sometimes refers to what follows. Yes. And by the way, Randall, this is John, right? So if a pro- if a pronoun can be taken in two different senses, they're probably both true, right? And I think that would be a case, right? Um, by this, we know that we are in him. This, what I'm going to say in verse six, that's how we know that we are in him. But also what I've been saying in verses four and five is also how we know that we are in him, right? Um, that fr- that uh, clause there, by this we know that we are in him, is both 
a concluding and a concluding phrase and a setup phrase, right? I mean, it's it's the transition into the conclusion, so it's a setup in that sense, right? But he's also pointing backwards. So, um, so yes, Randall, when in doubt, I don't choose because I have found very few cases thus far in John where there are two possibilities of how to understand the word, and one of them is definitely true, and the other one is just totally irrelevant. That's not happened a whole lot so far. So, um. Anyway, okay, by this we know that we're in him. The one who says that he remains in him ought himself also. Okay, um, ought walk. Um, ought walk. Tell me about ought. This is a verb? Um, yeah, let's actually, John, this is a great idea. Let, let's, 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 let's do a little survey. Let's see what we get here. I know exactly what we get in the King James. Um, Hereby we know that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Awkward, but grammatical. NIV. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. What? I'm not confused because that's complicated i'm confused because it's so simple okay whoever claims to live in him must live as jesus did right okay um clear simple straightforward and containing a truckload of interpretation in other words niv all in a nutshell right there okay okay right uh nrsv Okay, by this we may be sure that we are in him. Whoever says, I abide in him, ought to walk just as he walked. Okay, Um, needless to say, I like the ones that maintain the metaphor, like not just interpret the metaphor. Um, to walk. I, I mean, again, I don't disagree with the NIV there. Like, I think it's a good interpretation that I think that when he's saying we ought to walk as he walked, he does mean that we ought to live as he lived. Like, I think that's, I think that's true. Um, but, um, uh, but it's limiting because there are other implications to the metaphor potentially as we'll get around to. Okay. Anyway, let's keep going. Let's keep going. CEV. Okay. Now it gets fun. Okay. Not that it wasn't fun before, but uh, okay. Let's say, then we know that we belong. To, wait, no, they've just, They've attached it to verse five. Okay. All right. We truly love God only when we obey him as we should. Oh, oof. Whoa. Notice how they've reversed it. Instead of saying, right, as the Greek does, um, whoever keeps his word the the love of God is perfected in him who keeps his word. We truly love God. Only when we obey him as we should. We love God, but it's not talking about us loving God. It says the love of God is perfected in us. Whoa, mind blown. Okay. Again, not that that's irrelevant. I mean, yeah. We talked about how the love of God being perfected in us, we can understand that in a couple different ways, right? And uh, that's arguably one of them. 
Um, uh, okay, and then we know we belong to him. If we say we are his, we must follow the example of Christ. Well, that's like the NIV, but further down the road, which is the CEV in a nutshell, isn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, ooh. Yeah, the CEV is not as strong as the NIV. Follow the example. Sounds kind of milk toast compared to we must walk even as he walked, doesn't it? Okay. Um, all right. Four through six. If someone claims, I know him well, but doesn't keep his commandments, he's obviously a liar. Um, his life doesn't match his words. Okay. Yes. The one who keeps God's word is the person in whom we see God's mature love. You notice how aletheia makes no appearance in this translation at all, right? I mean, it's implicitly talking about truth, but only implicitly in that it's talking about lying, right? Um, I mean, the idea of your life matching your words, that is truth. Like, that's important. but. uh, yeah. Oh, I know it's a paraphrase. That's why I'm, but I'm very interested in, I'm very interested in these, in these things. Um, yeah. Randall says, I don't generally go to the message to get insight into the Greek. No, me neither. I'm just interested to see what they did with it. Um, anyone who claims to be intimate with, so it's not, I'm not, it's not that I'm going to learn more about the Greek from this. It's that I'm interested to see what they're doing with the Greek. Anyone who claims to be intimate with God ought to live in the same, live the same kind of life Jesus lives. Boy, that's even weaker, isn't it? Live the same kind of life? The same kind of life. Yeah, weaker than the CEV is exactly what I mean. Live just as he lived versus follow the example of, and then to live the same kind of life. Same kind of life in what sense? Yeah, Susan says really ambiguous too. Yeah. Like, should I become an itinerant Jewish preacher? Is that the kind of life Jesus lived? I know, I guess you can, I mean, theoretically, you could say the same thing about walked even as he walked, right? Um, but um, all right, okay. Sorry, I I'm not trying to diss the other translations and stuff, but um uh yeah, fascinating. Okay, okay, okay. Um, let's, all right, since I have so many lovely Greek scholars with me today, help me with the verb ought. Ophele, 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 how do I, how do I, how do I say that? Ophe, how many syllables? I'm not sure how to do the E-I. Um, I don't know how diphthongy that is uh, in, in Greek. Um but um, it's a long E, Ophili. Ophili. Really? Okay. Not an English E. Ophele. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Ophele. All right. All right. Tell me about this verb. Um, someone was saying 
uh, earlier on. I missed it. That it's clearer to say, like, you should walk just as he walked. That should is clearer than ought. Like, ought to walk is is one of the places where it's most clumsy. And I, I kind of agree. Um, it's the two verbs. Certainly, when we look at the NASB, um, ought himself also walk is that's where the awkwardness comes in, right? That's where the... Um, uh, that's where the challenge sort of is. So my question is, um, why? Why did he, he could have just done that, right? He could have just said walk and put it in like the subjunctive or something, right? I mean, there are ways you can do that more simply. He didn't have to do it this way. Um, what's he gain? Why, why that word? Um, and... It's the meaning of it's the it's the sense of obligation in there, right? Yes, yes, good. Randall says, um, "Ophelio" literally means "oh." Um, yes, yes. Um, it um, so it means like to, to oh, like to have a debt or responsibility, right? There's like there's 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 obligation here. It's it's a very very. So my understanding of this, so t- tell me if, tell me if, tell me if this is right. John has done this particular slightly awkward construction because he wants to really strengthen that. He doesn't just want, he, he's not just trying to say, um, you know, it's, um, if you claim to abide in him, you know, might be a good idea to walk kind of similarly to how he might've walked. Right. Um, he's, you're obligated. If you claim to abide in him, you are obligated to walk just as he walks. So that again, with the two verbs, right? It's not, and it's, it's not, and, 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 and by the way, tell me if I'm correct about this. Ophele is not a, that's not a, um, uh, it's not a helping verb, right? There's those there's two separate verbs, verbs, right? The one claiming to abide in him is obligated to walk as he walked, right? And this goes back to, uh, this is the complement to, um, I mean, it corresponds with verse four, right? If you say, I have come to know him and you don't keep his commandments, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. It's, it's, It's not possible. Those two things, right? Coming to know him, and keeping his commandments, we talked about this, right? Coming to know him and keeping his commandments, they're like the same thing, right? So you are a liar. So he speaks very strongly. You are, if you say that, you're a liar. The truth is not in you, right? It is, you are deeply inconsistent and you, you're, you're, you're claiming an impossibility, right? You're claiming to be wet and dry at the same time, right? It's not possible. It's absurd. But so, or not, not, but so, so if you are going to say that you remain in him, right? Which is not exact, but for now, it's, it's, it's not exactly the same as saying I have come to know him, right? But let's, it's clearly parallel. So let's just hold on to that for now. 
If you so, if you say this thing and you don't keep his commandments, you're a liar because what you've said is just a contradiction in terms, right? But therefore, not but therefore, if you say it, you are obligated, like unless you're going to be a liar with the truth not in you. Um, if you say it, you are obligated to walk just as he walked. If you don't, then see above concerning liar and the truth not being in you, right? Um, yeah. Okay, cool. Randall says, Ophele plus an infinitive is a standard expression for is obligated to do something. Okay, cool. Um, but walk isn't in infinitive, right? That's what leads. That's why they say walk instead of to walk here. Because if they said to walk, they'd be making an infinitive. So, so let me ask you this question, Randall. Is John's grammar wrong here? Like, is, is this, is he just like screwed up his Greek? I mean, which seems possible. No, he's not screwed up his Greek. Um, but he's using a different construction though. So he's not just saying obligated to walk. In the, he's not saying it in the normal way. Let me ask this question another way. What's the subject of walk? Is it the one again? The one ought walk. <laughs> okay. Okay. Right. See aforementioned hot mess. Um, okay. Right. Oh, this one is infinitive. This is infinitive? Oh. Oh. Oh, wow, 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 wow. So this is the one that corresponds to ought to walk. Oh, oh, I thought that was the other walking. Oh, my goodness. Got it. Yeah. Uh, Oh, wow. 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 Oh, man. Talk about fun with Greek syntax today. So um, let me pause for a moment. Um, Let me me, me pause for a moment uh, to help the people who know Greek even less than I do. Keep in mind um, that Greek is an inflected language, which means word order does not matter in Greek in the same way that it matters in English, right? English is not an inflected language, which means that contextual cues provided by the word order um, uh, matters a whole lot, right? I mean, like for the classic example, right, being like the 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 word the the two sentences: the man bit the dog, and the dog bit the man. All the words are exactly identical in those two sentences, right? The only thing that ma- that changes is the sequence of the words. But when you change the order of the words, it completely changes the sense of the sentence in English, right? But of course, in, um, uh, in inflected languages, um, it's different. So like um, in, in, uh, in an inflected language, it means the end of the, like, the, the word changes in order to tell you the word, right? So in Latin or in Greek, you could say the same sentence either way. The man bit the, the dog bit the man, the man bit the dog. Um, that is, you could put man first, you could put dog first. It wouldn't change the meaning of the sentence because like 
in that sentence, dog, let's say the actual meaning of the sentence is meant to be that the dog bit the man. The dog would be in the nominative case, which means it's the subject of the verb. And the man, the noun man, would be in the accusative case, which means it's the object of the verb. So it doesn't matter what order it's in. You look at it and you're like, I know that one's the object. I know that's the subject. You put it anywhere you want to put it, right? Um, so, right. Okay. Okay. All right. So I don't, I won't go too far down that road explaining this, but that that helps me so much. Uh, that helps me so much, Randall. Oh my goodness. Okay. Okay. The one claiming to abide in him ought to walk. And I got to say, my interlinear people did not help me by calling this walked. I think the interlinear people got confused here too. Don't you think? Because that should be to walk at the bottom. The interlinear translation ought to have been even more confusing than it is, right? The interlinear translation ought to be the one claiming in him to abide ought just as that walked also he in the same way to walk. (laughs) Right? Okay, 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 okay. All right. The one claiming to abide in him ought to walk just as also he in the same way walked. So periapetesen um, is the subject of that verb is he, altos, right? Oh, okay. It is all coming together. It is all coming together. Um, but hang on a second. I, I, saw, I, saw, I saw you guys, I saw you guys debating a point that I'm kind of confused about here, which is ikonos. But tell you what, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to worry about it. It's fine. It's fine. I'm not worried. This makes all kinds. Of, but so so. But now no, notice what we get here. Here's the fun thing. With inflected languages, you can do. Speaking of poetry, you can do really fun stuff. Um, that is, you can. It gives you a different way to convey meanings and to emphasize certain words and word patterns, right? Um, Now, I don't know, again, my Greek is uh, functionally non-existent, but um, so I'm not going to claim to like be able to see the nuance, but you guys can, you guys can help me. Okay. Um, Is that weird? I'm going to take by the fact that the interlinear is getting this seems to be getting this wrong and stuff um, or again, making a very, or I think they're probably just trying to make it clearer. They're like throwing us a bone. I suspect it too. Um, but ought plus the infinitive ought to, how unusual you Greek people, how unusual is it that those are separated by such a long phrase? It feels weird to me, right? It feels I. Like my impulse is to say, I think there's, I think there's, I think there's meaning there that there's, um, let me see if I can explain what I'm talking about. Um, Conceptually speaking, John is, is taking two things. He's saying there is the way that Jesus walked and there's the way that we ought to walk. Those are the two things, right, that he's holding up. There's the way Jesus walked, and there's the way that we should walk, that we are obligated to walk, in fact, right, if we're claiming him, claiming to abide in him. Okay. Um, the way that Jesus walked and the way that we walked. And 
in English, we would definitely want to put those things next to each other. And we see that's what the English translations, in fact, do. Um, the NASB being a bad data point in this case, right? Um, let's, let's, let's go to the ones that are doing, they're trying to make it clearer in English, right? Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did, right? Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did, right? So you've got claiming to live in him uh, you, you must live as Jesus lived, um, uh, ought to walk just as he walked. Um, we must follow the example. If we say we are his, we must follow the example of Christ. Well, anyway, it gets kind of uh, wishy-washy at the end there. But okay, okay. Um, John, in his Greek phrasing, is not doing that. He could have done that. He could have said, the one claiming to abide in him ought to walk just as also he walked in this, you know, just, just as in the same way that he walked. Um, but he doesn't do that. Instead, he takes the phrase ought to walk or are obligated to walk and he splits it up and he puts the other one inside it, right? He frames Jesus's walk with our walk. He, he's describing what we ought to do. We ought, we are obligated to walk. And in the middle of the phrase, we are obligated to walk. In the middle of it, he puts just in the same way as Jesus walked. Okay, so, you know, I'm tempted to say, and you guys who know Greek can tell me that I'm barking up the wrong tree and making stuff up. But you know what that looks like to me? Um, verse four, the one who says I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. What happens? The truth is not in you, right? The word is not in you. Here, he's saying what we ought to do. If we claim this, we ought to do this and the truth will be in us. Jesus, the way that Jesus walked is in the phrase describing us and what we do. Like he's like syntactically replicating what he's saying, right? It's like a shape poem, practically. Do you see what I mean? Um, we are obligated to walk. And in the middle of the phrase, how like we are obligated to walk just as Jesus walked is in the middle of that phrase like how we walk is to is to embrace how jesus walked is to be entirely embraced and how we are obligated to walk like he replicates that with his syntax as well as just saying that right with his words that is hot <laughs> that is really hot <laughs> oh, oh like that is like I have to stop and fan myself for a minute. That is so hot. Holy cow. Um, that is so good. Do you see what I mean? Do you see what I mean? It's, it's, um, uh, yes. Moving the inserted phrase to its, to this position lays a kind of focus on it. Yes. It, um, it, it, especially because it matches what he's saying, right? And indeed, you can even go another level. 
what's the qualifier at the beginning? Which one ought to walk? Which one is obligated to walk in this way? The one claiming to abide in him. Because what will happen if you abide in him? He will abide in you, right? And that's what he describes. He doesn't say it, right? He shows it in his syntax. Oh, come on. Oh, come on. This is, this is, this is a high level stuff here. Um, by the way, this is one of the reasons I'm always really excited when we come to a, when we come to like a syntactically inscrutable uh, thing. I'm like, okay, stuff's going to, stuff's going to get real here. Right. Um, yeah, exactly. Sharon. It's like those nesting dolls. Right. Um, but again, this is the fun thing about, um, uh, this is the fun thing about, well, one of the fun things about inflected languages is that you can, it poetically speaking, it enables you to play with word order in ways that English poets play with word order too, right? Of course, as we all know, you you might say, you, you will hear phrases said in a poetic style, right? Which is not how we would normally talk in English. You'll reverse word orders and things like that. Um, and um, uh yeah, uh, so you, you could do that a little bit, but there's again, there's there's only so much you can do in English with that without just completely changing the meaning of the sentence, right? You're really limited. In a in an inflected language, you've got many more possibilities. Um, and there are some poets. Again, I don't know Greek well at all, but like I know there's some Latin poets who make have do great fun things with this. Virgil did this kind of thing all the time. Um uh um, oh, where, where was it? I can't think of the place in the Aeneid where it is. There's this one place where he's talking about somebody being down in the depths of the sea. And uh, he puts the thing that's in the depths of the sea, like in the middle of the phrase, the depths of the sea, right? He like buries it in the middle of that phrase. Um, like it's it, it, that kind of thing, right? Is uh, to take, uh, to to shape your word order in order to provide like a grammatical picture almost of the thing you're describing. That is hot, right? I mean, that is, that is some next level uh, literary structure right there. Um, and I, I think that's what he's doing here. I think that's what he's doing. It's especially conspicuous because he has just talked about the truth, not being in you and you abiding in him. Right. So he's already been bringing up the, what that, which is in you and you being in him. And so when he's talking, he's not just saying you're over here and Jesus is over here, right. He's not just doing a side by side comparison, right. Like a split screen with you and your walk on one side and Jesus and his walk on the other side. That's true. I, he's not, he's not, he's not, not saying that, but he says more than that. He says that while at the same time, demonstrating what it's supposed to look like, right? The way that Jesus walked is supposed to be embedded in how you are obligated to walk, right? Um, you can't separate. He's not, it's not just putting them next to each other, right? It is tying together, inextricably tying together the way that Jesus walked and the way that we walked. And all in the context at the beginning of the sentence by bringing up, we uh, are abiding in him. One sentence after he talked about the truth being in us, right? That is spectacular. 
Okay. But there's so much more. There's so much more. Okay. Let's, let's, let's keep thinking. Let's keep thinking. Um, Cause one thing, hang on. What was that thing I was playing fast and loose with? Um, oh yes. Um, okay. Right. Claiming to abide in him. Yes. Great. Okay. That was it. So we started the paragraph with, by this, we know that we have come to know him, that egnokamen, um, egnokamen verb that we were uh, looking at in verse three, right? Ginoskamen and egnokamen there in uh, in verse three, right? By this, we know that we have come to know him. And then again, in verse four, the one saying, I have known him, right? Um, I have come to know him. Uh, and we discussed how coming to know him and keeping his commandments are the same thing, right? Hence setting up the strong statement at the end of verse four. But now notice in the par- when he comes back to this idea, he doesn't just repeat what he said before. He doesn't say, by this we know that we have come to know him. That's how he started, right? At the beginning of verse three, by this we know that we have come to know him. He says almost the same thing again at the end of the paragraph. But instead of saying, by this we know that we have come to know him, he says, by this we know that we are in him. The one who says that he remains in him ought himself also walk just as he walked. Ought himself also just as he walked to walk. Um, so what do we learn from the shift from come to know him to we are in him? Structurally, John is paralleling those things, right? Um, we have come, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. By this, we know that we abide in him. And I have to say, oops, sorry, come back. I'm all full of asterisks in this. Um, because I want to do another asterisk here. Because he doesn't just say that we are in him. He doesn't just use the preposition there. Um, let me show you what I mean, because this is important. This is important because this is the first usage of a word that John is going to use a lot in this epistle. So it's really important that we notice this. And that's the word abide. Oh, no, wait. I'm sorry. One claiming. Oh, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm I'm doing them wrong. I'm doing them wrong. It's That's the wrong place. That's the wrong place. It's remains. This is the one. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. It's here. And so they do have the stronger verb there. I was getting myself confused. Okay. Um, great, great. No asterisk. See, there we go. Yes. Okay. Um, by this, we know that we are in him. The one who says that he remains in him. And again, so notice both of these things, 
both the end of verse five and the beginning of verse six perform the same parallel. The begin, the end of verse five, by this we know that we are in him is directly parallel to by this we know that we have come to know him. Thus paralleling coming to know him and being in him, right? Verse six, the one who says that he remains in him is directly parallel to the one who says, I have come to know him. And thus it parallels remaining in him with coming to know him again, right? Both of those phrases are deliberate parallels to those phrases in verse three and four, but both of them replace coming to know with abiding in him, being in him, right? And I don't think that this means that this is necessarily a more advanced stage, right? First you come to know him and then you are in him. Um, because remember, we have come to know him and not like we are coming to know him or we've just started to get to know him, right? This is, um, we have come to know him, present perfect, it's done, right? We have now come to, we know him now. Um, to know him, to have come to know him, to have completed the act of coming to know him is, we are told, functionally identical with like it's impossible to to have that be true to have completed the action of coming to know him it's impossible to do that and not keep his commandments because keeping his commandments is how you come to know him and we're now being he, he is now suggesting i believe that if you have come to know him if you keep his commandments you are abiding in him. You are in him and you are abiding in him. And here, notice the parallel between keep and abide, keep and remain. Um, so the words here, remember we talked about the keep word a good deal last time. Um, uh, where are we? Um, <laughs> uh, teron. Yes, there it is. We should keep teromen. Uh, we should keep his commandments. Um, the one keeping his commandments, um, whoever may keep Tere, his word, right? So there's the keeping of his word, and then there's the abiding, meaning, abiding in him, right? And that means, um, this is a, as I said, this is a very important word, abiding, right? Um John's going to use this word a lot, to abide in him. To abide means to stay somewhere, right? To, to, to remain in that place. Um, uh, and this is the word, yes, this is the word that Jesus is using in the Gospel of John when he's talking about the vine and the branches. Praise, yeah, exactly. Um, the vine, The branches must abide in the vine, right? Um, and all that. Um, yeah, to remain, to keep his commandments and to abide, to remain in him. So think about what this suggests about the time dynamic, right? On the one hand, as I say, come having come to know him, right? we have come to know him. That is a completed action. It's not an ongoing action. It's a completed action. 
By this we know that we have come to know him. It's done. We know him now. We know him. But that doesn't mean that that's a static state. There's a verb that you still have to do, and that is to abide, to remain in him. If you've come to know him, you are in him. And you have to remain in him. And by the way, do you have any guesses as to how you go about abiding in Jesus? What's involved, do you think, in abiding in Jesus? I'm going to go with keeping his commandments, <laughs> right? Uh uh, th- those again, those are the 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 connections. All of these things that keep layering one on top of another. Right? We know we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. If you say you've come to know Him and you don't keep His commandments, the truth isn't in you. Right? Ergo, if you say you've come to know Him and you do keep His commandments, the truth is in you. Right? Whoever keeps His word, His logos. In him, the love of God has been perfected. By this, we know that we are in him. The one who says that he remains in him. Um, Hang on, I want to go back to four for a second. Just checking a verb. Legon, that's the same thing. Okay, claiming. The one whose word is, I have come to know him. Right. Legon being the verb form of the noun logos. If your word is, I have come to know him and you don't keep his commandments, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. But whoever follows his word, whoever keeps his logos, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him, the one whose word is that he abides in the word, ought himself to walk just as he, the word, did. Right. Ought just as the word walked to walk. Um, by the way, another Greek question here. Is it just me or are there a whole bunch of qualifiers here? Just as in, in the same way, kathos and hotos, two adverbs. Is that overkill? Is that is that is um is uh is John really uh uh kind of heaping on the adverbs here, right? Like that's uh that's he's gone out of his way to add, but you could you, he could have just done one of the two of them, right? Just as and in the same way, because sounds like kathos and hotos are more or less synonymous, right? But he's piling them up there. Um Thereby, yes, making it very strong, Randall. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking, right? Um, just as in the same way, right? Your walk, um, uh, your walk has to be just like him in the same way to walk. Um, ooh, man. So much here. Um, let's come back to the walk, the metaphor of the walk. The very first thing we want to do 
is go back to what he's alluding to because he'd just been using this, right? Um, and let me just double check the Greek here. Uh, right. It's the uh, peripatetic walking. And I'm pretty sure we got that. That's what we get in verse. Sorry, I got to go back to chapter one. That's what we get in verse six, isn't it? I think so. Four, five, six. Um, and yet in the darkness, yep, periapatoma, and there it is. We lie and do not practice the truth. However, if we periapatoman as in the light, as he is in the light, then have we koinonia with him. Okay, right, good. Just double checking that we are indeed uh, periapting in both places, both chapters as we are. Okay, cool. Same verb. Okay. Um, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, but if we walk in the light. So we have associated that verb. John has associated that verb in 1, 6, and 7, in that first set of parallels. Remember, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Um, I was talking how at the time, I think it's very clear that he's using walk as a metaphor for our actions, for what we do. Um, and the primary thing there is that um, the business about practicing the truth. Um, we're not doing th that verb practice means very generally, very vaguely to do things, right? Um, so he does seem to be very interested in our, in our practice, in our doings there in that metaphor. Um, but the light and darkness in the context of verse five, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. That means if we're walking in darkness, where are we walking? Away from God, right? Away from God. Um, we're either walking with our backs to God and thus we're looking at darkness in front of us because we're blocking the light or we're running away from God, like Jonah hiding in, you know, the ship on the way to, um, Tarshish. Is that where he was going or where he was coming from? I always <laughs> sometimes get this Tarshish. It is a Tarshish bound ship, right? Um, that's sort of the other metaphor that I have there for walking in darkness. That of course was sailing in darkness, but you understand what I mean? Um, anyway. Okay. Okay. So, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, right? We're not only there walking to God, we're walking with God, right? Um, God is himself in the light. And we are walking in the light as he himself is in the light. And this immediately then goes to the fellowship, the koinonia concept, right? Um, of what it means to be with God. Um, here, we don't get any clear indications of what exactly the walking means. We're not told exactly how he walked here, right? Um, so how does this help us? How does this help us to understand what we ought to do? That we ought to walk just as in the same way he walked, right? Um, and I think there are two possibilities for this, right? One is that he's just assuming we're going to know about Jesus's story, right? Like y'all have read the gospels, presumably, 
right? So you know how he walked, do that, right? Would be one way to understand this passage, but I don't think so. I don't think that's mostly how John rolls. Um, I think he's referring to what he's referred to before. In fact, I think he's referring to what he's just been saying. How did Jesus walk? What did Jesus do? He kept his commandments, right? He didn't just make them up. They're not just for us. They were for him too. Again, that's why keeping his commandments and coming to know him are functionally identical. Why keeping his commandments and being in him is functionally identical. Why keeping his, con- his commandments is, I suspect, going to be the thing that's going to enable us to remain in him. And so, of course, back to the that ought word, right? Um, Ophele, you're obligated to walk just as he walked. Yeah, like logically obligated, just as, you know, verse four is not a, like a personal accusation so much as a logical statement, right? You You are a liar if you say, I've come to know him, but and I don't, but you don't keep his commandments. It's again a, an untruth as simple as saying that you can be wet and dry at the same time, right? Similarly, saying the one who says that he remains in him is obligated to, must by necessity walk just as he walked, must keep his commandments by necessity is just like saying um in order to get wet i'm going to go in the water right if you want to get wet you need to go in the water no you're obligated to go in the water in fact you have no choice right if you if you claim if your word is that you're wet then you'd best be in the water if you're not in the water and you're saying you're wet, then you might be a liar. I'm sorry, <laughs> right? Like it's, do, do you see what I mean? Like it's that kind of, it's that kind of uh, logic. I think it's that kind of obligation. Now there's a sort of a play there. I mean, it is the other kind of obligation that is an, an obligation imposed, not merely a like a logical necessity, but an obligation imposed on you, a rule that you have to follow, Right. Your will is, in fact, involved in keeping his commandments and in abiding in him, therefore, presumably, right? Your will is engaged. You have a job here to keep his commandments. But at the same time, um, it means, I believe, that you can turn this around the other way to say, if you remain in him, you will walk just as he walked. That's what's going to happen. It's inevitable because remaining in him means keeping his commandments. So saying you are going to, your life is going to be just like Jesus's life is just as inescapable. Like if you, if you, if you abide in Jesus, if you keep his commandments, your life is going to be just look just like his is just as inevitable as saying, if you jump in the water, you're going to be wet. So on the one hand, again, yeah, yes, your, your will is engaged. But it's also 
it's also kind of it's also kind of simple. Remember, this is right after John has just said, "My little children, I write these things unto you that ye sin not." Well, how's that work? Yeah, well, just like this. Keep his commandments, and therefore, just as in the same way as he walked, we will walk. Um. Yeah, kind of mind-blowing, this whole passage, kind of mind-blowing. Remember with the walking, remember with the walking, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, right? Um, Remember in that passage, I was saying I was getting um, Trinitarian feelings there, right? Um, that is, we're walking with, like, God is light, right? And God is in the light. So we are walking in the light as he is in the light. So God is in the light and God is the light, right? Both things are true. Um, that's what I meant when I was, remember when I was talking about um that verse having a kind of a trinitarian feel but he's not just doing abstract theology here it has a meaning for us right we walk with god and we walk in god just as we walk in the light which means we're abiding in god because god is light we're also walking with god who is also himself in the light as well as being the light, right? Um, and we get that same kind of thing here, I think, right? We are in him and we are also with him. We are walking with Jesus just as we were walking in the light, as he is in the light, right? As God himself walked in the light. We can walk with him. And now he's saying, again, this is not just uh, an exhortation, right? But if you walk in the light as he is in the light. So there, you know, therefore, little children, walk ye in the light, right? I, that's that's would be one way to think about verse seven, right? But this goes a step further. I mean, he's still saying that, but it goes a step further, right? This is more than just walk in the light as he is. Walk ye in the light, my children, right? It's not just that. Um. If you keep Jesus's commandments, Jesus will be walking next to you. You will walk just as in the same way he walked. That's what it means to abide in him. That's what it means to come to know him. That's what it means to keep his commandments. At the end of the day, I think all four of these verses, I think in this whole paragraph, he is explaining what does koinonia with God look like? We said we'd have, he said we'd have koinonia with God. We'd have fellowship with God. What does that mean? How do you get there? What does it look like when you are there? Well, he's given us some of that, hasn't he? How do you get there? By coming to know him. How do you come to know him? Keeping his commandments. What happens if you, when you get to know him? You will be in him. And the truth will be in you. 
You will keep his word. And so he will be in you and you will be in him. And then you have to remain, but your work isn't done. You have to abide in him. You have to remain in him. How do you remain in him? By keeping his commandments. Walking just as he walked. Um, yeah, John, you're right. It gets to the root. It's simple, but very difficult. Yes. Yes, yes it is. Um, yeah, I, um, we're out of time. I'm going to let you guys go. I'm glad we're going to be here next week again. I should be here next week. Um, because I want to, I want to kind of go back over this a little bit. I wanna, and, and, I didn't get a chance to do what I was also hoping to do is again, thinking a little bit more about application. What, what does this mean? How is this practical, right? It's one thing with this kind of a poetic style, it, it can be easy. And I would say it's especially dangerous perhaps for someone like me uh, who loves this kind of literary stuff and this, these kind of poetic constructions. And I derive so much pleasure from contemplating and sort of working out the a poetical and logical structure of the thing that it's all too easy for me just to be like, well, that was beautiful and clever and really satisfying moving on. <laughs> right. And, and not actually take the moment to say like, okay, hang on now. What does this mean uh, for how I should be spending the next hour and a half of my time? Right. Uh, you know, that's um, a thing that I need to make sure I'm not avoiding. Um, and so we can do some of that together, but also um I feel like I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to see if I can, uh, I don't know, maybe map this out a little bit more clearly. Cause I know it's, um, I know it's kind of complicated, but anyway, um, but that was really fun. I hope you guys thought that was fun. I had an awesome time here. I did not see that, uh, syntactical thing coming what i what i would call a hot mess at the beginning, which felt like a hot mess at the beginning turns out to be just like genius stuff amazing stuff so cool anyway um we'll wrap that up and then get launched into the next section and be warned the next section is when the poetics really get this is when john starts to get um uh I don't know. Cryptic isn't the right word. But anyway, the, the middle of First John 2. Mystical? Sure. Yeah, that, uh, that, that, that works for me. Anyway, starts to get a little bit weirder um, in uh, the middle. So much more fun upcoming. Um, <laughs> so let's see. We'll, we'll, we'll see what we do. So we'll get into that. We'll do some application. We'll wrap things up, do some implication, application, and then... Uh, and then get into where John goes next, which is super fun. Um, but anyhow, thanks, everybody. Um, I will say uh, thanks, thanks again for joining me, and I'll see you guys next week. Bye now. Okay, that's it for this week. I'll be back with another episode soon as we continue our march through First John. I'm glad you could join me. Godspeed.